The great thing about Dartmoor is that it's a huge place. And so although we've been here before on Folk on Fort, we've never been to this part of Dartmoor. And this is the north of the moor. And I'm just standing on a little incline, looking out over the most spectacular view. And we're here to visit a Bronze Age stone circle, which has uh, mystical qualities by all accounts and which nestles in a fold in the moor and to meet two amazingly talented musicians. Philip Henry and Hannah Martin, otherwise known as Edgelarks, have created a unique brand of music fusing the English tradition with American influences. And Philip is a masterful guitar player, but they're both multi-instrumentalists and they both sing and Hannah writes the lyrics for their songs. They were the best duo in 2014 at the Radio 2 Music Awards and they've made their home in this part of the world. And so it's a joy to be going on a walk with Edgelarks. Hannah and Phil, good morning. How wonderful to see you. Uh, it's, a, it's actually a lovely morning here on Dartmoor, isn't it? Yeah. Hannah, where have you brought us? Uh, so we're here at Squirrel Stone Circle. We're not quite at the Stone Circle yet. We're at the car park, but we're going to walk down to the Stone Circle. And what is the Stone Circle? Well, it's, it's an ancient monument. Um, right. It's quite mysterious. It's one of those uh, things a bit like Stonehenge when no one's really sure why it was built, but it's, it's pretty special. <laughs> right. Let, let's get walking. Yeah. Let's get moving. Now, you are carrying an enormous number of instruments. Um, <laughs> well, actually, you're not carrying an enormous number, Hannah. No, yeah. Phil, <laughs> Phil you've got, have you got three guitars there? Well, uh, there's a tenor guitar, a banjo, and a resonator guitar. Two of them are Hannah's and one of them is mine. And you're carrying them all. I'm carrying them all. A lot? Uh, I'm carrying the baby changing bag. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, because one of the most exciting things that's happened to you in lockdown, well, possibly the most exciting thing that's happened to you in lockdown, is having a baby. Yeah, it is. Yeah. And she's Project. with us. She's walked ahead of us with yes. with your mum. Yeah, she's with my mum Barbara ahead there. But What's yeah, her name? She's called Rosa Kit. And how old is she? She's five months old. So. Uh, Yes. She's so you're a... looking remarkably well on it. Oh, you don't thank look you. like you've been getting plenty of sleep and uh, well no, that's uh, clever lighting. <laughs> and sunglasses. Yeah, and sunglasses. <laughs> Permanent sunglasses these days, yeah. We've uh, just taken her on her first ever tour in the last week with some amazing touring grandmas helping us out. But she's done really well. She is she is actually fantastic. Does she respond well to seeing you on stage? I don't know how much she's aware when we're on last stage. Night, last night would be the first time when you played with Miranda at Sidmouth. Yeah, because she's usually asleep. She's a good sleeper. <laughs> <laughs> but she's been at a lot of rehearsals and she definitely seems to like music. She sort of lies in the middle on the floor and uh, watches us very closely. Keeps I'm, a good eye on us while we I'm guessing we play. she was exposed to quite a bit of music during your pregnancy, was she? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Just a bit, yeah. Just <laughs> quite a lot. We recorded a whole album, actually. At home? And, um, yeah. yeah. In fact, she's even on the album. I slipped a 12-week heartbeat recording of her into one of the tracks. 
yeah. wow. kind of hidden in the background. But if anyone can actually spot it, then um, they get There's a big prize, is there? There is a prize, because yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's subtle. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So uh, just tell me more about this walk, because we're heading up hill now. Is this a place that you you come to a lot, or is it special to you in some way? Yeah, it's, it's a... It's a quite a significant place for us, really. It's um, mm-hmm. it's somewhere we've been coming probably for the last 13 years or so. Yeah. I've been coming to Dartmoor my whole life, but this particular spot I didn't know about until a friend said, oh, have you, have you been to that particular stone circle? And we came up here and ended up taking photos that became the album sleeve for our album, Mind. And ever since then, we've come up fairly regularly for walks and uh, we often camp up here as well. It's a good wild camping spot, so. And I can guess that there's going to be an absolutely amazing view from when we get to the, the top, top the here because <laughs> it's already opening up yes. to our right across the field of sheep. Yes, um, I, I love that about Dartmoor. You wiggle through all the lanes and uh, it's quite sort of enclosed and woodlandy in the lower part and then uh, you finally come out onto the open moorland and you get this, this sense of space and enormous landscape. And are you a local? So I'm originally from Brixham on the south coast, so not far away at all. Um, and we now live in Exmouth, so yes, we, we are locals, but Phil's from Lancashire. I am, yeah. I've lived in Devon close to 20 years now, but I don't think I would be classed as a local by other oh. Devonians. No, you are. You're <laughs> I think definitely naturalised. It's an incomer. Oh, I don't know. <laughs> That's, uh, I think we're local. Okay. We qualify. Thank you. <laughs> So how did you two meet in the first place? Well, we met through music. I think it was a music night in Exeter, wasn't it, when we first met? Yeah. By our mutual friend, a singer-songwriter. We both ended up playing backup instruments at a music night. And then we uh, went on to form a band. A band called The Roots Union, with Tobias Ben Jacob, he's called. He plays in a duo called Jacob and Drinkwater now, you may have heard of. They're excellent. And we had... A really fantastic few years touring around with the Roots Union with Toby. We did lots of Glastonbury gigs and uh, we went to America and uh, it was great fun but when that band sort of naturally came to a close me and Phil had started playing as a duo so. And we carried on we had a bit more of a mutual appreciation for traditional music than the rest of the band as well so that kind of led to us forming a duo. And uh, did the music come first or the personal relationship? Music, actually. Yeah. (laughs) Guilty. (laughs) You had a boyfriend when we met. (laughs) It's all coming out. So you you were professional colleagues first. Yeah. And then partners afterwards. Yeah, we both got recruited to the band, you see. So, yeah, spent a lot of time touring together. And and what have been... I'm interested in both your roots into music in the first place. I mean, Phil, what, what was your starting point of getting into music when you were much younger? Well I'm a self-taught guitarist and uh, started playing when I was 15 and I got into music via my best friend's dad's record collection basically we were raiding his vinyl and his homebrew and discovered some great music from the 60s and 70s which became a kind of core of my musical taste. What sort Um, of people were you listening to? Initially kind of the Beatles and Hendrix and that kind of stuff and then um, later kind of looked into the more acoustic roots of that music and I got heavily into the Delta Blues and early blues recordings and that kind of thing 
which I've kind of specialised in now, particularly with the slide guitar. And also Davy Graham and Bert Jansch and those guys. Davy Graham definitely ahead of his time in terms of being a, a great kind of world music musician. With a very eclectic taste incorporating traditional music from the British Isles but also all over the world really. So they're very inspiring. And so that inspired you to take up the guitar? Yeah. Do you remember your first guitar? Yeah, it was an electric guitar. It was a white Stratocaster, kind of Hendrix-style guitar, yeah. I don't have that one anymore, I don't think. But yeah, I moved away from electric guitar into acoustic guitar quite early on, really. and kind of find that's where my home is, really, on the acoustic. And I think you spent some time in India, didn't you? I did, yeah. That was in 2008. I got... Arts Council funding to go and study with Pandit Debashish Bhattacharya, who's kind of considered to be the best slide guitarist in the world. So that was studying Indian raga music on the slide guitar, living in Calcutta with his family, and yeah, a great time. Well, no, tell us more about it. You know, what, what, what did you do every day? Did you get up and have lessons, or? I got up at five o'clock in the morning and practiced for five hours. Five then, hours? Then went and had breakfast which was a curry and then we had a lesson with Debashish and then back to practicing for the rest of the day really. You're doing like 16 hour a day practices weren't you? I managed to clock up some hours there yeah it did me a lot of favours. I thought I've come all this way I'm going to make the most of it so I I really put the hours in. Well that is amazing dedication though isn't it I mean what made you able to focus in that way because a lot of people would have been distracted not just presumably from the music but also because by the surroundings you might have wanted to get out there and explore. Yeah it's quite a daunting place to walk around Calcutta on your own so I was quite happy to sit in (laughs) in the room and uh, practice but at that point in my life I was determined to become one of the best slide guitarists I could possibly be and I was very very motivated. I wish I had that motivation these days. (laughs) And, and what did you learn from him? I mean, I assume it's impossible to sum up in a sentence, but what influence did he have on the way you played the guitar? I think the, the best thing I learned from him, the most important thing, was he made an important point about how you can tell a story with melody. You don't necessarily need words, so you can... If you arrange notes and you take the listener on a journey, you can basically tell a story just through playing the notes and... Uh, the biggest the story you can tell, the better player you are, if you will. So kind of a different approach to improvising and playing melodically. So it's the, it's the psychological learning that you took away from him, your attitude of mind when you're playing, as much as the technique and the way you put your fingers. Yeah, yeah, pro- probably equal both, really. A lot of great technique as well, but a philosophy and uh, just a different way of approaching music, really, was one of the, the biggest thing I got from him. We stopped here on top of the moor on the way to the stone circle. I wonder if you might... Would you play something for us here? Yeah, we can do, yeah. That would be wonderful. So, in addition to the three guitars, you've got a banjo, Hannah. Yeah. And a fiddle? Yes. Yeah, this is fantastic. You brought your harmonica. I've got a couple, yeah. A couple of harmonicas. This is actually travelling light for us. We've stripped it back, (laughs) haven't we? (laughs) Yeah, well, I've only brought one guitar. I usually bring six. <laughs> <laughs> and this is just such an amazing open spot um, on the crest of this hill. 
and you can see for miles and miles and miles away to the to the north and it's actually a, a rather lovely day the clouds are here but there's plenty of blue sky and a bit of sunshine breaking through and just to, to the right of us the moor stretching out with the shadows of the clouds moving across it and uh, it's, a, it's a great spot so what are you going to sing for us? We're going to sing a song called Old Adam the Poacher and um, this is based on a tune collected on Dartmoor called Old Adam the Poacher and it's quite an unusual tune for these parts because it, it changes mode halfway through and I, it caught my ear because of that. And we used to live in this uh, funny old barn with this beautiful view out across the River X up onto the moors. And I would sit there playing this tune, wondering who old Adam the Poacher might have been, and uh, it turned into this song. And, and are there, there are lyrics to this song as well? You've put lyrics yeah. to it? Yeah, I wrote the words, yeah. And, and are they about this place? Yeah, so they reference various different bits of Dartmoor myth and legend. So I was imagining who old Adam might have been, and I suppose in my head it became, he was sort of the, the spirit of Dartmoor in a kind of environmental sense. And uh, I was thinking about the kind of regenerative power of nature in the end, I think, as I was writing. <laughs> and some of the myths as well of this of this area? Yeah, so uh, Tamara and, and Tavy is a myth about how the rivers were formed in the west of Dartmoor. Tamara was a nymph, wasn't she? I think so, yes, but yeah. you're testing me now because I wrote this a, a while giant. ago. <laughs> yes. I've, I've been reading about this. <laughs> ah, you have, yeah. yes. And yeah. it was all about the two giants, Torridge and Tavy. Of course, yeah. Wooing Tamara. Yeah. Unsuccessfully. Yeah. And, and her father forbidding it and turning her into a, a river. Ah, there we go. See, I, I knew that when I wrote this song, but it, I wrote it some time ago now. <laughs> let's, let's hear it. Okay.
Thank you. That was wonderful. And what a wonderful place to, to sing it. Have you ever sung and played up here before? When we took the photos for our album cover of Mind, we had our instruments with us, so I think we played a little bit, but no, yeah, we've, not, do, we've right. not done that song here. It felt lovely. Just not convincing, didn't we, when we're doing the photos. Yeah. But we've definitely never played that up here, so that's a great experience. Yeah, yeah, that's wonderful. Well, let's put the instruments away and keep, keep walking, shall we? Because I want to get to the Stone Circle. While the sun's out. Yeah. <laughs> so we're just coming over the brow of the hill and we can begin to see the Stone Circle here, can't we? It's sort of hidden in a dip. Yes, it is. I'm not sure if that's... Well, I assume it was a deliberate thing about the people who built it, but it, the approach is slightly odd. Like, when you're down there, you can see the whole landscape around you, but from a distance, it's quite hard to spot the stones. You just sort of have to know how to, how to find them. <laughs> and, Hannah, what about your route into music? We've heard quite a bit about Phil. So when did you take up music? Well, my parents just always loved music. They didn't have any kind of musical training themselves but they listen to a lot of music so I think I remember very early on in life sitting listening to Bob Dylan and Joan Baez and Fairport Convention and Steel Ice Fan and I remember particularly loving the words and the stories in you know the really long folk ballads and then they always took me to Sidmouth Folk Festival actually so I got exposed to a lot of folk music early on too which clearly had an influence and so as I grew up I started learning the violin and I knew well, my parents knew a wonderful Brixham folk singer called Maggie Duffy and she started taking me along to sessions when I was quite young. And, and when you say you started learning the violin, was it the violin or was it the fiddle well, that you I were had, learning? Well, I had violin lessons at school and so that's the kind of So you did sort of grade one and grade yeah, two and all that, that. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But then through Maggie, really, and getting into the, the sort of local folk club scene, I suppose that's when I learnt about the idea of a fiddle and, and improvising and that was where I found my real passion lay so that was what I ended up pursuing much more. Yeah so a kind of a, a more traditional route into into folk music in many ways, running sessions and playing tunes in pubs. And was that unusual in your peer group? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> some of my school friends used to be like you go and hang out with all these old men in pubs <laughs> but um, as I got more and more into music I met more and more people so then I ended up with lots of contemporaries who were into the same things as me as well so mm. you know it's a very sociable thing isn't it yes yeah, yeah. <laughs> but it just always interests me as to why more young people don't, don't get into folk music and you know yeah. whether it's just that they're not exposed to it or I think it is you have to find the sort of the gateway in and I was lucky that I had parents and their friends who kind of gave me that opportunity really because it is so much fun <laughs> <laughs> and while you've been talking we've walked into the middle of the stone circle and there are a lot of stones here actually aren't there i'm not going to count them all but i mean there must be about 30 stones still yeah. standing in the circle of varying degrees of height some of them about waist height some of them a bit higher one particular pointed one which suggests that they might have been bigger when they were first put here do you think phil Quite possibly, yeah. yeah. Quite a few of them are lying down, aren't they? So it's quite hard to say. But yeah, that one is much bigger than the rest, so it must have some significance, I think. What we normally do when we arrive here is we walk round the outside once and then come in via the big stone. We're not quite sure why we do it. It's, it's like just a little, a little ritual. ritual that we <laughs> well, do. let's do it then. Okay. Let's do it. <laughs> just your way of greeting the place. Yeah, it feels like it, there's a sort of significance to the place and it, it feels like important to kind of acknowledge it in some way, really. Yeah, I'm not sure how this, this ritual evolved, but um, it's a nice thing to do. Yeah. 
And also, there's something about the way you should walk round a church, isn't there? There's, there's a particular direction you're supposed to go round it. Oh church, yes, I because think. it's Widdershins. Widdershins, like a... isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Yes. So I don't know if we're doing that now, but uh, we're showing respect to the ancient people who put these stones here on the moor. Yeah. Uh, yeah. By walking the circuit. Yeah, it feels like asking sort of some kind of permission to be part of the landscape. <laughs> and uh, you can imagine how awe-inspiring it could be here, either in fair weather or foul. Yeah. You know, if, the, if a storm came in here, you're very, very exposed. Yeah, and it could you could see the power of the gods or of, of nature in tooth and claw, really, here, couldn't you? Absolutely. Well, we have been here in fairly bad weather, and you certainly can, yeah. yeah. It's, you're kind of in the centre of this bowl of hills, really, and it's it's all very... I suppose you could say bleak and exposed moorland, but it's also so colourful. The, the richness of all the different grasses is... I don't know, there's a certain warmth in it, isn't there? It's not It's not just bleak. But there's no shelter. But no, <laughs> there is no there's shelter. There's a little bit of a pine forest away in the distance, but this circle is on its own. Some of the stones lying down. I always just feel when I come to a place like this how extraordinary it is to connect yourself back through thousands of years. Yes. I was talking to an archaeologist about the joys of his work, and he said that, you know, the amazing thing is to visualize the people yeah who had been in that spot for thousands and thousands of years absolutely yeah i think i enjoy that sense of perspective that it gives you like um you know we're just a, a flicker in time bit of a blip all the all the worries that you might have are uh, in the general scheme quite insignificant and what have we actually built that will last yeah i think we're safe to go in now well, okay <laughs> we've been round and we'll go in and perhaps you could sing for us here yeah yeah there's a song, isn't there, which was inspired by something that happened to you here? Yes. Yes, there is. I found a feather in the middle of this stone circle, and it's an extraordinary looking feather. It's sort of brown, black and white striped, but with, with this reddy orange kind of thing up the side, isn't it? And I put a picture of it on Facebook once I'd found it and said, does anyone know who this feather is from? And it's like my most popular ever social media post. Just hundreds of replies of people saying, oh, it could be this, that and the other. And no one could conclusively say where this feather would have come from. Lots of theories of exotic birds that had got lost or, you know, things that had been bred for people to, to hunt on the moor and that kind of thing. And several people were like, oh, I'm so sorry we can't solve your mystery. But I decided, actually, I, I love this idea of a mystery, that there's, there's things out here on the moors that people haven't really pinned down yet. So that's what the song's about. Sometimes we don't know where a feather's from Sometimes we don't know where our hope belongs But sealed in its mystery lie days of skylit flight the places that we go to in our dreams The kite is a revenant returning to the wing I cannot count the miles of his brave whispering But perhaps he flew much further than the last time that we met And left his token here in the And the drilling of the drill 
absolutely amazing and there's that wonderful sort of synthesis of something very English and something quite American going on is that the sort of conscious way you arrange the music uh, possibly just our influences finding their way out really rather than deciding it's going to be that way but I think it's important to both of us to have that sense of rootedness and our own identity rather than imitating another culture or whatever but we have got so many influences that they definitely play a huge part in what we do don't they and when you put the banjo in yes you know that adds another kind of sound that makes it sound a little bit american yeah when did the banjo come into your life we were on our way to america actually with that first band the roots union and we stayed with a friend and he'd just bought a banjo and i'd only ever seen the ones with the big backs you know the big bluegrassy banjos before but he had one in fact, the same one that I now have too, uh, which is more like an Appalachian style, good for frailing, so that sort of strumming technique. And it's a bit of a gentler sound, I think. So I really liked it for that reason. And 
yes, I, I fell in love with it that night, staying with our friend Steve, and uh, bought myself the same one. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes it's a bit marmite the banjo, isn't it? You know, you can yeah. find that it divides opinion. There are a lot of banjo jokes. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know one? No, <laughs> I blocked my ears one. against them. <laughs> <laughs> Phil, you've got one of these resonating guitars, which I have. Yeah. It's got a sort of resonator built into it where you would normally have the sound hole. That's it. Yeah, there's, so there's a metal cover plate on the front of the guitar. You'll kind of recognise the, the image of them from that famous Dire Straits cover, Brothers in Arms. But underneath that cover plate, there's basically a speaker cone and it's a mechanical amplifier. The vibrations of the strings get transferred through the bridge into the cone and then the cone fires them back out again. So as a way of making the guitar loud enough to compete with the volume of fiddles and banjos back in the day. Or barroom chat, presumably, you know, if you're yeah. playing it in a bar in New Orleans or wherever. And, and, and there was no amplification, no electric amplification. No, it, this predates the invention of PA systems, so yeah. Is it an old guitar? This one's not that old. It's made by uh, a local maker, actually, David Oddie, who sadly passed away a few years ago. But it's made to the specifications of an old national. Fantastic. So where are we going to go to now? I think we're going to head down to the river. So just over there, there's a beautiful river that meanders through. Once you get over there, you'll see that the landscape actually changes quite a lot. Let's go. I think your mum's seen it. Yeah, I've waved her on. It's fine. <laughs> I must say, your mum's incredibly patient looking after the baby, and the baby's incredibly well-behaved. <laughs> yeah, Razor. yeah, we're Up lucky. there on the hill, just away from us. Yeah, my mum's an excellent uh, tour nanny. <laughs> but we are blessed. Rosa is a very well-behaved baby thus far. <laughs> so we're going along a little cart track that cuts through the middle of the stone circle a sort of rutted cart track which must have come after the circle yeah. was abandoned or, or left and a fine herd of, a picturesque herd of cows <laughs> on the right yeah I think it's easy to somewhere like Dartmoor it, it does feel like wild and spectacular which I love about it but it's easy to kind of de-people the landscape and actually it's it's a place full of people really full of people's lives and quite industrial in places mining and uh, we did that very long walk didn't we out near Widgery Cross out to the were they mining stations very far from the road yeah and um it's kind of feels like maybe we shouldn't forget those people who live very harsh lives out here and I guess maybe this cart track has something to do with that are you natural walkers Phil do you walk a lot we do yeah it's, it's one of our favorite things to do when we have the time We've walked a lot in the Lake District, up in Scotland, in the Cairngorms. And here, yeah. And we, yeah, we did a long walk across Dartmoor, didn't we, a couple of years ago. Yeah, the Mary Michael Pilgrim's Way is a west to east kind of route, taking in lots of special sites, isn't it? Yeah, we took the uh, backpacking tent and it was great. So you slept out on the moor? Yeah, we did, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. a couple what of was, nights. What was the highlight of that experience for you? Uh, finding the pub at the end. <laughs> <laughs> It was yeah. I didn't sleep particularly well. We bought two very very small child <laughs> sleeping bags by accident from a, a guy in Mountain Warehouse who gave us some bad advice. <laughs> so you had one on each leg. Yeah, <laughs> pretty much. <laughs> it was a, it was a real error that one on that particular trip. <laughs> but it was a fantastic walk. And what is it about walking that you like? I like the uh, the kind of chance to to sort of think about things, I suppose, without distraction. But it's not that the landscape's not distracting, but you can kind of, if you walk far enough, you sort of end up just being a part of it rather than having all the, the worries of home life kind of descending on you. Yeah, once you get into the walk properly, the kind of everyday thoughts start to leave you. 
and you kind of get a clarity of mind, I guess, that how to get doing other things. A great way to relax, really, isn't it? And do you find musical ideas come to you when you're walking? Yes, definitely. A couple of years ago, we went up to the Lake District and exchanged a gig for a week in a beautiful cottage in a very remote spot in the Duddon Valley. And um, we wrote a whole album while we were there and did lots of walking. And I'm sure that the two things went hand in hand. In fact, we walked from Great Langdale to Wasdale Head, which kind of takes you right over the tops. Technically the highest pub walk in the UK, because it walks between two great Lakeland pubs. So that was a good walk. It was fantastic. And and we wrote the whole album in the week after that, so I'm sure that the walk contributed. I often carry a harmonica around with me as well when we're walking, so I've written a few of my harmonica tunes whilst on the move. Uh, There's one that I do called Coniston Water that I wrote in the Lake District, for example. Yeah, I think we'll play a bit of harmonica in a minute. Yeah, that'd be great. I think I'm probably generally always have a song in my head in some kind of a way, actually. Yeah, there's a certain rhythm to walking, isn't there, that is musical. Like work songs and everything, it's always been a a feature of music to help people do their activity, like the the walking songs for doing wool in, in Scotland and that kind of thing. It's all about the rhythm, isn't it? So we're just picking our way down into the valley here through the um, heather and gorse bushes on some small paths. The river is in sight. So I think the landscape really changes because once you're down, you can't see the stones from here and suddenly you're in the sort of the dip of the river and there's lots of sort of little trees and it feels more like a, a kind of glen and it's much kind of warmer, cosier landscape, I think. And the Brecon's coming up here, isn't it, around the river? Yeah, yeah. And we can see the, the little pine wood over there on the, on yeah, the, on the hill. Yeah, sort of stand of trees. We, we usually, this is where we would come to camp, just across the river, and then there's this dry stone wall, and you can pitch up next to that and get some shelter from the trees when, when the weather comes in. <laughs> and you can swim in the river when the weather is hot, which has happened. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. It's like yeah. a bit of wild swimming. Yeah, 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 absolutely, yeah. I came up here with some friends, actually on the trip where I found the feather, and it was it was like 30 degrees, it was ridiculous. And so we, we all swam in the river and it was, it was fantastic. Yes. Yeah, although I did get a tick. <laughs> <laughs> There's always a drawback, isn't there? Yeah, yeah. 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 in their romantic vision of the of yeah. country life. <laughs> <laughs> so we can start to hear the noise of the river, the sound of the river rippling away down in the bottom of the dell there. So the river's fast flowing here and going through a lot of rocks, so you can sort of see the rapids going past us. But there's this extraordinary shaped stone. Yes. What is that? I think it's called a Tolman stone and I assume it's just a natural phenomenon, but it is a beautiful thing. I have been told that it's often been used as a sort of fertility rite, so you're meant to climb through this big hole in the stone. Well, I thought it cured your rheumatics. Well, maybe it does. It probably does it all. <laughs> it, it's, it's got this massive, naturally occurring hole right through the, the middle of the stone, hasn't it? Yes. It would be quite a, a feat of gymnastics if we were to climb through it. Well, I think we have both done it, haven't we? Yeah, it does been hang through over there. the water. Was that before or after you had Rosa? Before, so it works. <laughs> QED. <Yeah. laughs> I can demonstrate if you like. 
Oh yeah, should we do that? Yeah, I'm not going to demonstrate, but yeah. Yeah, Phil, that would be wonderful if you wouldn't mind. Are you thinking of having any more children? I don't know if it's an intimate question that you well, want to answer at this point. Keeps the options open, doesn't it? <laughs> so Phil's just climbing out now onto the Tolman Stone, and uh, the river's running furiously past below. You all right to go in? Yeah, it's fine. Yeah. There's, a, uh, there's another big stone at the bottom that I can climb down onto, so I'll do that now. Okay, so it's a big round hole and he's dropping through, but he's going to have to hold on with his hands. It looks more dangerous, I think, than it is, because it looks as though he's dropping straight into the river, which I don't think he is. There's a stone below, and he's just managed to limbo round. Limbo back. Come, come through, sir. Come back out of this massive stone. Some patches of lichen on it, and a little pool of water has just gathered in one niche there on the stone, where you can see what might be the beginnings of another hole going through. And I assume it must be the power of the water that has worn that hole away uh, that allowed Phil to go through and improve his fertility. So Phil, you've got the harmonica out, well, two harmonicas out now. Yeah. And you've got this beatboxing technique that you do with the harmonica. How did that develop? Yeah. Uh, it kind of spontaneously happened at a very difficult gig in a nightclub in Exeter on New Year's Eve once. Uh, I was playing a gig going on after a 16-piece soul band with just a harmonica and a stomp box. <laughs> I found that I needed some extra sounds and these uh, beatbox sounds started to come out. But I later refined it. I uh, made friends with a really great young beatboxer called Vid Warren, who sadly passed away. And we exchanged skills. He taught me how to beatbox properly, and I taught him how to play the harmonica. So that was uh, how it kind of developed from so there. So you do it around the harmonica. You use your mouth to create the percussion around playing the harmonica. That's it, yeah. Because when you're breathing out and in whilst beatboxing anyway, you're breathing out for the bass drum and in for the snare drum. <clears throat> You can just direct that breath stream into the harmonica <coughs> to get a bass drum and harmonica at the same time. <coughs> and then I usually slip the snare drum in uh, on the in breath there and then back onto the. That's fantastic. Okay. It's like having a whole drum kit here, isn't it? That's it. It's cheaper than a drummer and it doesn't answer back. <laughs> <laughs> so you're going to play a song which is yeah. very appropriate. We've been talking about walking and it uses the beatbox technique. Yeah. What, what's this song? It's called Wonders. It's kind of about many things in a very loose way about walking. Um, it's about finding your place in the world and song of community and welcome and how I think you, you don't necessarily have to be born somewhere in order to end up belonging there. When the war led him to Rome His children, they forgot the tongue But had been their father's home The shapes 
Lots of words were broken by the city's endless road And the lines of accents spoken told their stories no more But it's not about your blood or the mud around your bones But the tile of your hands and the seeds that you've sown The roots that you dig when you make your home For feet were made to wonder I have a love for the land that I've known for trees And the fields by the sea where I've grown But I believe Choose where you dig your feet were made to wander. Clearance and enclosure took our fathers from the land. They forgot their tongues, forgot the sun on their backs. They did not know. So how could they lend a hand? They did not know themselves So how could they make a stand? But it's not about your blood Or the mud around your bones But the toil of your hands And the seeds they have sown The roots that you dig When you make your home For feet were made to wonder I have a love for the land That I've known for the trees And the fields by the sea where I've grown But I believe you should choose Where you dig your home for were made to wander.
Never let it be said that men can't multitask. Yeah, Can exactly. I just say? Because watching Phil do that, what he had, he had two harmonicas on the go. So he had both his hands up at his face with one of the harmonicas. One hand would go down, produce the other one out of his pocket, switch them over in mid-note, and yeah. then do the percussion section, and then come in on the backing vocals. You're, you're worth your weight in gold. I try my best. <laughs> I'm flying the flag for male multitasking. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. That was absolutely brilliant. Thank you. Did, I mean, have you, did you have to work really hard at those skills? Again, like your 16 hours practice that you were doing on the guitar, did you have to work like that on the harmonica? I put some time in, yeah. Maybe not quite the same as what I have for the guitar, but yeah. Whilst you're in the car driving, you can practice beatboxing, actually. So you can use the hours productively. Yeah, how does that work if you're in the car with him? I'm shaking my head. (laughs) (laughs) And of course, Hannah's contribution was enormous in that song. She was playing the fiddle and singing. But, you know, you must be constantly upstaged by him doing all that jiggery-pokery. I don't mind, it's brilliant. So we come to a much quieter part of the river now where um, I think this is probably a little tributary going into the main river and uh, there's a family just wandering past over there. I can see them with the three children and the dog and I I suspect they're going to have a picnic just by the river. What great spot for it. When you're working together, I'm interested in this, I've asked several couples who work together how this goes. I mean, I, I think it's just because when you find a good accompanist, you marry them or you get, you know, you get a relationship <laughs> with them. But, but are there tensions in being life partners and, and work partners as well? I suppose there can be. I think we're lucky, really, aren't we? we I think we're lucky. Because we, have good, we have a good kind of um, balancing set of skills. Yeah, we're quite opposite things really because I tend to write the songs and certainly the lyrics person. Phil has an amazing musical kind of production brain, so you're you're brilliant at taking the sort of the skeleton that I've got and making it into a proper piece, fleshing yeah. it out. I think we'd both really miss those complementary skills, you know. And we have a laugh as well. You've got to have a yeah. you've got to have a sense of humour if you in a car for nine hours together regularly. <laughs> On tour, yes, yeah. And so the acid test of all of this would have been the lockdown, presumably, when you're locked down together. Some people said to me, well, you know, we couldn't make any music, you know, when the lockdown happened. We were so sort of disorientated by it, we stopped making music. But yeah. I think you went the other way, didn't you, and started making an album? Yes, we did. We, we definitely felt disorientated at first, but suddenly realised a couple of months in that we'd been given this gift of time which is something we've always been very short of on tour and I think the starting point was really having the idea to start exploring more traditional material because I wasn't feeling hugely inspired for writing to be honest um, with all the uncertainty and our surnames are Henry and Martin and so for years when we've played in folk clubs 
people have said, oh, so you must be going to learn the folk song Henry Martin then. And Which I'd never a had a chance. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. I'd never had a chance. But I knew that it was in a wonderful collection that I look at a lot of, of local songs, Songs of the West, collected by Baring Gould. And so I got the book out and I read the music and started making this arrangement and Phil kind of went, oh, well, that sounds quite nice. And it kind of spiralled from there, didn't it, into an entire album of traditional material. And where did you record it? Uh, in our second bedroom, which is the studio, in inverted commas. The Brazil room. The Brazil room. It used to be... Why is it called the Brazil room? <laughs> because when we moved in, it had the most horrific wallpaper covering all the walls. Enormous blow-up black and white photos of Brazil, Rio de Janeiro, apart from in neon green and yellow, the colours of the Brazilian flag, picked out at random. So we got rid of that quite swiftly, but it is the Brazil room. <laughs> yeah, but well, we used various parts of the house, actually. Did some recording in the bathroom, some under the stairs. And I used, we've got, um, it's a Victorian terrace, very high ceilings, and we've got a very high stairwell. So I used that to capture some reverbs and that kind of thing. So I basically converted the house into a recording studio and uh, simultaneously converted my garage into a brewery as well. So I had quite a good first lockdown. <laughs> <laughs> and what were you recording under the stairs? Vocals. Made right. quite a nice little vocal booth. For intimate vocals. <laughs> I didn't like being in there very much, actually. It was a bit but... <laughs> claustrophobic, a bit Harry Potter, isn't it? Was, it? You know, recording under the stairs. <laughs> <laughs> well, will you sing Henry Martin for us here? Tell, tell us about this song, Henry Martin. Absolutely, yes. Yeah, so, well, the history of the song, there are lots of different theories, but the one that Baron Gould says, he, he collected this song in several places on Dartmoor, and he thought that the song was originally about a pirate called Andrew Barton, and the name had morphed into Henry Martin, just in the oral tradition, the way it does. And this pirate had been around in the time of Henry VIII, and apparently is a true story of a, of a Scottish pirate who raided some of the king's ships. And I don't know how it got to Dartmoor, but obviously it stuck around here, and people remembered it and kept telling this story. So, uh, yeah, now we're telling it. Phil and Hannah are now on a bridge over the river. In a, it was rather an epic sight to look up at you there on this bridge, which is a, it's not a, a very big construction, it's just like a fallen stone has gone across uh, the river. And I'm sure there'll be trolls and things like that underneath it, don't you think, that'll come poking out? Almost certainly. Yeah, <laughs> it looks like that kind of bridge.
strings from both feet, I'd soon hang him up to his middle yard, oh, and have done with Henry Martin. That was wonderful. Thank you very much indeed. The midges have come down yes. now to attack yeah. us. And, and as you were playing there, just behind you, there were a pair of swallows just oh, whistling around oh, uh, by the pond uh, just behind you there. Yeah. Amazing. So thank you. Thank, and th you. thank you very much for sharing your songs with us and sharing your uh, stories with us. It's been an, an amazing experience. Thank you. Oh, thank you so much. It's been an absolute pleasure. Yeah, thanks. Philip Henry and Hannah Martin, otherwise known as Edgelarks, taking us to the Scorrill Stones. Well, if you've enjoyed this episode, there are loads more episodes for you to explore in our back catalogue. And we filmed all the music that Phil and Hannah made here today and added it to Folk on Foot on Film, which is our amazing archive of more than 100 songs recorded on location during our travels. If you want to see that, you need to become a patron of Folk on Foot. Make a small monthly contribution which goes towards paying for more podcasts and then you can look at that archive and explore it to your heart's content. To sign up, just go to folkonfoot.com and click on the Support Us button. We'd really appreciate your support because we rely entirely on our listeners to keep us on the road. So please sign up if you can. Mm -hmm.